0: You're listening to the Mindful Psychology Podcast, a podcast designed to explore mindfulness, psychology, neuroscience, and various aspects of holistic health. My name is Jen. I'm your host. I'm also a therapist, an educator, and a yoga teacher. Join me and brilliant guests as we explore various topics and offer you actionable steps so that you can be informed and intentional about your health and well-being. Now sit back, relax, maybe take a notebook out, and let's dive in. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the mindful psychology podcast my name is Jen I'm your host and today I am joined by Elise Elise why don't you first of all thank you so much for being here (laughs) hey (laughs) (laughs) also can you uh go ahead and explain uh, sorry introduce yourself to everyone and tell us about you and your work and what you do and how you've got there
1: yeah so, um, as you know by now, two seconds in, my name is Elise. I am um, a licensed clinical social worker in California, um, which is, you know, there's different titles of different forms of social work and therapists all across the country, all across the world, really. So, um, it's just a fancy way of saying I'm a therapist in California. Um, so, I currently function as a school social worker in a high school. So, I work with ninth through 12th graders on their mental health. Um, and then previous to this job, I was working for child protective services for a few years. Um, that was actually the job that I had getting out of graduate school and um, coming into the field. So it's definitely a different, a different type of job. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm loving it. And I'm happy to go into, like, any education piece if you want me. I don't know how far back you want me to go. <laughs> no,
0: absolutely. Why don't we talk about how you got, like, how you got into that first stage when you were doing, when you're
1: doing that work and why and how you transitioned, for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, when I was in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I had, like, shadowed a licensed marriage and family therapist my senior year for, like, a project and was really interested in just, like, kind of the field in general um, uh, but went into my bachelor's program just with a wanting to major in psychology, quickly learned that that was like heavy research based mm-hmm. and and less what I thought it was going to be. So I switched to human development and minored in psychology. And then uh, about my junior year, I was doing like my like volunteer hours I needed to do to graduate. and that's how I came across um, child protective services and started volunteering there. and really just, became fascinated with that system and wanted to learn more, wanted to be a part of it. And so I went to graduate school for my master's in social work with the intention of really making a career out of working with Child Protective Services. Um, And after a few years of being there, quickly learned that was not somewhere I wanted to stay and went back to school to get my credential to be able to work in schools And all during this time, I was working on getting licensed, um, to become a licensed clinical social worker. So like accruing my hours. And at the time in California, it was 3,200 hours, which you could do in like a minimum of two years, basically. And so once I got that license, um, I applied for this job, which required it. And here I am, and this is my third year. So it's been quite a difference in, in role, but I love it. It's, it's much more therapeutic, um, and you know i'm not diagnosing like i would be if i was in an outside agency or in my own private practice or anything like that but i get to be a support to these kids every day which has been really cool cuz you know sometimes a crisis is more than just a day it's something that somebody's experiencing you know for several days or several weeks and it's nice to be able to be there for them at the place where they already are at anyways so it's been really great
0: definitely um i guess my first question would just be why you felt like it wasn't the place for you. Like what were the, some of the cases that you were seeing? Um, and also how has that carried over into the work that you do now, if it has?
1: So, I mean, I'll be honest. It, it's in general, that job is just really, really hard to maintain any kind of work-life balance. Um, so I came from, I mean, I've been like waitressing in since I was 16 and, You know, if you've ever waitress, it's fast paced and, you know, your brain kind of feels like it's go, go, go. Your legs are on fire by the end of like an eight hour shift. And, um, the best way I can describe working for CPS is it was like that times 20 with like more obviously intense content. And so, um, I was actually commuting at the time as well to work about an hour each way, no traffic. Um, and then I was working four tens, and it was, yeah, most weeks I would say I was working, anywhere between 50 and 65 hours regularly. And, you know, sometimes being out till one in the morning and, um, you know, the content is heavy. I I don't know if I really realized at the time how much um, secondary trauma in a way I was probably experiencing compassion fatigue until after the fact, like now reflecting back, I'm like, oh, like I thought I just kind of struggled with anxiety in general, but it was actually the job that was really inducing that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of things, hindsight, um, but ultimately the biggest thing it came down to for me was a couple things. So I knew it wasn't for me anymore after, um, having my first, my first son and there was like a few nights I was staying up late, um, didn't get to see him awake for like two days. And then he rolled off the bed one night when I was writing a court report, cause I was just so tired. And just so many things adding up that this was like not conducive to, for me to have a family in order to maintain being a good worker and being a good parent and good everything in my personal life. Um, I needed that distance. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I'm already, you know, X amount of time away from being licensed. I'd like for my next job to require the license, pay me more for the license. So I'm just going to finish that. Mm -hmm. So I stayed for a few more years while I was working towards licensure, Um, And that's when I'd gone back to school and I had to do another internship. So literally on my, I was on a 410 schedule on my fifth day off, I was going and interning again and just really putting in all the work so that I could get out. (laughs) But, you know, it was stressful. I have a lot of really great things to say about it too, but that's just kind of why I recognized it wasn't for me anymore
0: hmm No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, for anybody who might not know what secondary trauma is and what compassion fatigue is, would you mind unpacking that a bit?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we often think of trauma even as like something that we have to go through. And I think, you know, a lot of people that are in fields like ours where we're listening to trauma um, and almost experiencing it secondhand, right? So we're hearing about it. And especially in CPS, what happens is, you know, I'm hearing it from the child's perspective and then I'm hearing it from the parent's perspective. And then I'm hearing it from the collateral perspectives and the doctor and the detectives. Like you're just hearing about it all over all the time. It's just constant. And so over time, you know, our bodies taking that in, our minds are taking that in and we start to experience trauma at a secondary level, meaning we, it's not me firsthand experiencing it, but I'm still experiencing trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, So I was experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of, um, stomach aches for a while. Um, these just different symptoms that, you know, now again, reflecting back, I'm like, Oh, that was the trauma at the time. Nothing was actually physically going on with me. Um, a good example I can give of that is I had been working with this person that, um, was dealing with some substance abuse issues and had been in the military, um, and he like really scared me. There was some like subtle threats. Um, he would leave me messages at two o'clock in the morning that I would come in and listen to like 10 minutes of him ranting. And it just really freaked me out. And um, I would was staying with a friend for a few days during the week. This is before my son was born in San Diego so that I could avoid the commute. And she lived in like, kind of like a little I don't even know what you would call it, like the it's like generation homes or whatever. It's like basically a little second home attached to the actual main home. And so she had like a living room bathroom and a kitchen, but it shared a big wall with the actual house. And, uh, my friend wasn't there and at, you know, probably around midnight, I woke up to hearing like the kid that lived in the house, like screaming, like, don't take me, no, And I literally thought this kid was being kidnapped. So this is like my fight flight freeze kicking in. Like I could feel all of that in my body. Um, I ended up calling the police, like legitimately thinking somebody was like taking this kid come to find out they just got back from a baseball game. The kid didn't want to go to sleep. Like nothing was going on. Everything was fine. Um, But in reflecting back again on just the experiences I was having um, and working there, I realized that that was all really induced by this the stress the secondary trauma all of these things that at the time i had no clue were connected
0: mm, yeah no definitely it's, it's really difficult work to wash off i think i don't think you even fully can right like it's yeah it's really big it's really not yeah. big but it's really um heavy sorry that was the word i was yeah about. yeah definitely um okay so then so then that happened and that that was you know your thought process there and then as you transition, what do you find you, you kept with you, if anything, in your, in the work that you do now.
1: Yeah. I mean, and this is where I'll say lots of great things. I, Mm -hmm. even though it was stressful, I really loved it. I love investigating actually. Um, I like that mindset and it was very interesting and you get to be a part of so many different areas. So, you know, I was involved with the court system. I was involved with law enforcement. You're involved with child abuse experts. Like I feel like your knowledge expands really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, Felt that I was becoming like an expert in a lot of areas, and that was really neat to learn, and has definitely transferred over here. You know, so as I'm dealing with you know students in their own mental health, you know, when we're looking at what's going on underneath that, what's going on at home, what's going on in their past, I can really speak to understanding the effects of child abuse and neglect. I can understand the socioeconomic pressures. I can understand domestic violence or intimate partner violence, um, substance use, the court system, restraining orders, like everything you just get a like a really really good kind of foundation for the work that we do Um, and i'm super thankful for that because it's it's nice to be educated in those areas and i sometimes think a lot of the times in these fields and especially in social work because social work is not just therapy you could work for a lot of different agencies doing different work Um, you typically get exposed to like one area right so maybe i work in a substance abuse treatment center and i'm learning a lot about that and kind of sprinkling in the other stuff where I feel like first CPS for me really laid everything on really thick. Like it was a big learning curve initially, but getting out of that, like it just really provided a lot of insight for me kind of coming into the work that I'm doing now.
0: Mm -hmm. No, totally. And in the work that you're doing now, how do you feel like it's, it's different in a positive way? Oh my gosh. So different.
1: Um, I think what I love the most is I get to maintain ongoing relationships with these kids. And so before, even though I was working, I would say like almost four kids, I wasn't working with them. Right. So I'd go out, I'd interview them. Um, but it was, it was actually really challenging because I pretty much stayed in investigations the entire time I was working for the County. Mm -hmm. And typically that was, you know, one, two, maybe three interactions with the kids. But honestly, most of the time, just one interview, And, you know, you do establish some sense of rapport and you know, a lot of the times these kids are opening up about really heavy things. And I think I appreciate getting to be on the other end now where I get to help them work through that, where before my role was to gather that information and like how, what do we need to do to help keep this family safe? What resources does this family need Um, in that sense? And now I get to work directly with what the challenge is and helping them work through that stuff. Where it's different too, though, is like now I have almost less access to the families. So, you know, I, I want to work collaboratively with everybody, right? Like this is a job where we can't just work with the individual. It's important to like consider what's going on at school, what's going on at home and take in the other aspects. But that part's a little more difficult in in having that access.
0: Mm, okay, no, that makes sense. And what are some of the the things that you that you're helping um, these, these children with the most, if there are anything, if there's anything that pops up that you think is most common struggle?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of um, like depression, anxiety. Um, I feel that, you know, what's really neat is seeing how important the relationship is. And so we know that really like success in therapy, success in any kind of therapeutic relationship primarily has to do with the relationship. Um, More than anything. I think I read in some study it was like 70%. And that's always been really powerful to me because there's been students that I've worked with in what doesn't seem like a big capacity that have come back and just talked about, you know, how one person told me they wouldn't be here anymore. And that's really powerful. And I think it just goes to show the importance of having this type of relationship in a kid's life and, and having them having access to somebody like this. Um, that they know that they can go to without judgment. That's you know going to be there just to listen, to help them navigate that, to plant the seeds. And so it's it's been really neat because, you know, I'll give you an example of a student I worked with um, my first year here who really struggled with a lot of substance use. I never got them to change their behavior, right? They weren't ready to change, but we were able to really like get them to a point where they could reflect on why they were using, what was going on for them, and how it was helping them, how it wasn't helping them. um, But they just weren't ready to make a change yet. Well, I recently heard from their parent and heard how they're doing now and they're doing really well. And so it's really neat to see that kind of stuff, because the student would always say like, I know I'm still high. I know I'm still using all these things, but like you've planted the seeds. And so now, you know, not to be cliche, but it's like now, Oh, you see how the, the seeds like and how that's grown and how that's helped him. And so, that's just a really cool part to get a p to get to be a part of a kid's life in that way.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's really beautiful, actually. I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's really nice. And you know, you mentioned something before when you said um, that it's interesting to be there in a place where they're they're already there, like the kids are already there. Have you found that that affects the way you have uh, a relationship? I mean, aside from the fact that you're doing different work now, um, do, have you noticed a difference in the way that you're able to connect with the students because they're at school and kind of on their own?
1: Compared to before? Yeah. When you're at point, yeah. yeah I, I think what I love about it the most is you get to really access the kids that either one have had a bad experience in therapy or had a therapist that wasn't a good fit for them. And they just kind of think that that's what therapy is. Um, or the kids that are like hesitant to ever try. So it's, it's really neat because I can send a pass to this kid that's already in school. I'm not trying to get them to agree to come to my office outside of school, right. Where they're like, have to do this extra step. It's like a part of their day. And so, hey, maybe it's instead of being in second period for the last 20 minutes, I get an opportunity to connect with them and um maybe get them to pop in a few times and build that rapport. And then maybe, maybe they're not ready yet, but maybe next year when they're going through something really difficult, they remember, oh, there is a person on campus that I met, she seemed nice, she seemed like maybe she could help, and then they pop back in. Um, so I really think it gives kids, especially the ones that are resistant to any kind of support the access to know, um, you know what is available to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that can see how that would be really helpful. Um, I guess my next question, we can kind of divide the next portion of this into two. So for anybody, I guess we can uh, divide it into parents or caretakers and also uh, the other part would be clinicians or future clinicians. So I guess we can start with the parents uh, or caretakers. Um, If they're thinking that, you know, they they want to support their child and the child is resistant to therapy, uh, is there something that they can do? And maybe they don't have the resources at school. Do you have any insight that you can share about what would be possible for them um, to find an in-between maybe or anything like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me would be to try to understand the barrier, um, right? What's the barrier to them being resistant to getting that support? Is it that um therapy, you know, okay, I'm gonna in their mind, right? Therapy is stupid, talking to somebody's not gonna help. I talk to my friends, mm-hmm. right? So I think like if we can first understand what that is for them, then we can kind of address the need. So let's say they think, um, well, I don't need a therapist, I talk to my friends. Well, and then I think this is where we can provide information about how talking to a friend is great, um, and also how that can be different. Um, I think at that point. I always tell families, like if they have friends that have been to therapy, like how can we get them to just kind of see how it could be useful. Um, if we're talking about somebody that maybe doesn't have the access to, or let's say they don't have insurance, um, uh, well, that kind of changes it. If we're just talking about resistance, I think it's just really addressing like the resistance behind it. Like what's kind of addressing the barrier to that there's lots of great um, workbooks on online that you can find on Amazon. Um, You could start there with just trying to get the child to kind of um, explore whatever the challenge is. So I'm in my office right now looking at, you know, I have all these great ones. It's like the self-esteem workbook for teens, the mindfulness workbook for teens, the anger workbook for teens, um, the perfectionism workbook for teens. So there's lots of different ways to kind of get therapeutic support without the therapist and obviously that doesn't replace a therapeutic relationship but it might introduce kind of this helping area that might then encourage them like oh this is interesting in doing this I can really see I'm really anxious I'm wondering if talking to somebody could help and just kind of helping them move across the stages of change (laughs) see if we can get them to the next spot Um, and if it's somebody that is maybe open to it, but isn't they don't really have the resources or the financial ability to go. You can always, you know, call around different agencies and see if there are any interns. And you know, that could be either somebody in their master's program or working towards licensure that's working underneath somebody who is licensed um, to get some of that support. There's lots of great apps out there. Obviously there's the site of um, Instagram therapists that are online providing information. And again, that doesn't replace that relationship, but there is information out there that I think can be helpful mm-hmm. um, in providing support for people that can't access it at the time.
0: Definitely. That's really helpful. Thank you. I'll put those um, those resources in the show notes for sure. Um, and then if we shift toward uh, clinicians or future clinicians, I, can, I really can't speak to this part because I'm not... From California, and I didn't do my training there. But what would you say to people who are wondering what the difference is between social work and therapy, if they're like really early on in their studies, or um, if they're thinking about a career in social work? Would you have any advice for them?
1: Yeah. So obviously, I can only speak to social work. Um, What I personally love about it and why I chose it is because. I had the ability to choose to go into therapy if I choose to do that, mm-hmm. but I also had the ability to do a lot of other things. And so, um, the best way I can describe it is a friend that I had that did her master's in family therapy. You know, the whole purpose of that is to go into therapy and so then you work on your hours and you get licensed and you, you become a therapist. Um, for social work, you also have that option. You have the option of becoming a licensed clinical social worker, which is equivalent to a licensed and marriage family therapist. Um, but you also have the ability to go into other areas of work if you choose to. Um, and so that's what I love about even being in a school setting, right? So I get to and it requires the license, which is great, because typically if they require the license, the pay is better. Um but if I decided that I didn't want to be here anymore, I could go work for a lot of different agencies doing other type of work within social work that isn't necessarily therapy. So it just opens the doors, I feel like to, to more options. Mm. Um, but I will say for somebody considering going into social work, you just really need to have an understanding of what you want to do. I mean, even the financial piece, it's such a big difference. If you, if you don't have a master's in social work, like if you just come out with a bachelor's in social work, um, as far as I know, I mean, it can be really difficult to make money with that. Like you really have to work towards licensure, at least for most agencies, if you ever want to make decent money. Um, and that's something I wish people had been more honest with me on. I think a lot of people talk about, you know, we're in it for the outcome, not for the income and, um, money's like a bad word. And I just disagree with that. I think that, you know, I want to be in this field because I want to help people and I want to uh, be a part of this process, but I also have a lifestyle I want to live too. And it's, it's okay to want those things. And so just being very like, cognizant of, of what you're getting into and, and knowing where you, if you want to get to a certain point, like what you need to do to get there.
0: Absolutely. No, that's very helpful. Definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah. And if people want to connect with you and find you, um, how can they do that?
1: So you can find me on Instagram at that relatable social worker. Um, you can always email me at that relatable social worker or not at, but the, that relatable social worker at gmail.com. Oh my gosh. And I finally, I should say i more so not finally. I, uh, I love the word. I joined TikTok, and (laughs) I was like, (laughs) and I was so hesitant. I mean, there's like a funny, um, video, right. That's like, Oh, I'm not going to do it girl. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Like I, I finally, I did it. Um, but I found it's been a really great way to like provide Content, especially to Gen Z, um, mm-hmm. and that's the population I work with. And it's actually been really cool because my students are like, "Oh, Miss Manage, I saw your video and blah blah blah." So, <laughs> it's it's a fun way to connect, and you get to just be goofy. But you can find me on there too. So, that's wonderful. and and the same like at the
0: relatable social that relatable social worker.
1: Yeah, funny story. I spelled their name wrong on there, and I can't change it for thirty days. 30 days. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think right now it's like the relatable social worker without one of the letters, but um essentially yes. And it's it's linked in my um Instagram as well.
0: Right. Okay. So I'll put I'll put all of that there. Um awesome. fantastic. But no, just wanted to say about the TikTok that I had that same thing. I was like, I don't want to go into another app. Like I don't need this. I'm too old for this. <laughs> yes.
1: And then I was like, so follow me on TikTok. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so and it's funny because I know like I'm way too old to be on there kind of, but it's also funny. And I think there's like actually humor in that. There's a lot of like funny ways that, you know, I, I make fun of myself on there. I, you know, poke fun at it. And um, it actually feels like, I want to like stretch it and feel like this is like inner child work, but I feel like I do some really silly things that I would do if I was like a teenager again. And there's a part of me that connecting with that part of me that feels really fun. So I'm, I'm all for it.
0: Yes. And the fact that it's like a new, Beginning almost like a blank slate, you can just create some content, put yourself out there. I think there's something really great about that. I yeah. don't know, I found it kind of fun. I've really found I have really fun. I agree. I'll
1: have to find you. I didn't know you are on there. Well, no, I'm because I'm very hush hush about it. I'm still coming to terms with it. You're like, I'm still in the, I'm trying to accept it. <laughs> that,
0: <laughs> that, and also I'm like, I don't need you to follow me on TikTok. It's okay. Like, I'm just kind of there for fun. <laughs> it's fine. You don't actually have to come, you know what I mean? Like I'm in that whole, like, totally that acceptance phase or that, you know, just trying to, uh, to, to come to terms with the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. But also it's just funny. Like sometimes I watch videos that make me laugh so hard. I'm like, how was I not enjoying this in the past? Like this was so
1: funny. Oh my God. Like Honestly, like, I just feel that, and this is why I created the Instagram account and why I think so many of us over the last year for sure have is that people are on social media. I mean, yes, I, and I teach kids like really trying to create those boundaries around it. At the end of the day, they're, most of them are on it and they spend a lot of time on it. So why not have the option for them to follow people that are providing good content, um, that's going to support their mental health. And so that's kind of where I'm like, well, if I'm going to be on here, I might as well, you know, provide some good information for these kids.
0: Absolutely. I agree. I think it's a great way. And you know what, especially if there's, uh, you know, if they don't feel like they want to go to a therapist or to see someone that can help them, or if they can't or whatever the reason may be, at least they have something right. These are so many resources I wished I had when I was a teenager. Right.
1: Think about like what kids think of as a therapist. And this is, I should have mentioned this earlier, but you know, kids think of therapists as this, like Oftentimes it's like old white dudes sitting on a couch. And um, I hear from a lot of kids are like, well, I was talking to someone and it just didn't, it's just not a good fit. The the age difference, whatever you want to call it, just wasn't a good fit for them. And so I think when they get to come into the office or they see people online that maybe look like them, that are just humans, they're normal people, they're silly, they're funny, like they get to see a different side of people, it changes their perspective on on what a therapist is and what therapy is. It doesn't have to be as stuffy as I think it's made out to be in the media or at least, you know, what it used to be made out to be in the media. So I think that that's been really powerful.
0: Definitely. I think that's a really big piece for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I I mean, it it, it makes sense, right? The relatable social worker. I mean, I think, and you are relatable. I love your content. That's why we're here. Thank you. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. And like I said, I, I can't stress enough how much I wish I had these resources when I was younger and how grateful I am even for them today. Like even now, I'm so grateful to have all these resources and to be making the connections and just to see the content, like forget about the connections, just to see the content and how much it makes me think and how so much like, it, it meets me where I am, and I I'll always see the posts I need to see. You know what I mean? When oh I need to, God, see them. I it seems like it's almost divine intervention or something. Like it, it
1: is, it and happens. I think that's what's cool about even being in the field, right? Like you mentioned it. I actually came onto this platform to provide it for other people, and in the process, had made really great connections. Mm-hmm. And in the process, I'm learning a lot from other people, right? Everybody, I don't know everything, obviously, and so there's a lot of things that I'm like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, I don't really know much about eating disorders, but I've learned a ton yeah. <laughs> from therapists that specialize in eating disorders. And that helps me a lot in my work now. So it is such a cool place. And I'm so thankful for everybody that's providing all this free content. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work and I just am really appreciative.
0: Yeah yeah same oh that's such a beautiful note to, to end it on i just want to thank you so so much for all your beautiful information <laughs> and all the resources that you've provided i'll add things in the show notes for people so that they don't have to uh like go through this episode and try to find it again so i'll put all that there as well as how they can find you and connect with you and i just want to thank you again so much for taking the time and for being here thank you so much i
1: appreciate it thank you.